0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Health Conscious Podcast, where we interview healthcare professionals to gain a deeper understanding of the industry. My name is Anand Chadhari. With me, as always, is Parsa Najad. And today, we have interviewed Tony Herman, the Executive Director of the Sloan Program and Health Administration at Cornell University. And uh, I have to say, Parsa, this has been one of my favorite interviews that we've done previously. Uh, by far.
1: And it's also the longest.
0: Yeah, definitely the longest. And I don't envy you for having to edit this and get it together. Um, but I'm really glad that we got to do this. I think having Tony in the studio brings a completely different element to it. And uh, what I'm really hoping is that this gives people a perspective, both within the Sloan program and outside the Sloan program, exactly what like you know a long successful career looks like. Um, kind of the different ways that you know you interact with people. Because I think something I really like that Tony said is not being afraid to learn and like you know find something you really like to do you might not know a lot about but you're working with good people and i think there's a lesson there for just about everybody
1: yeah i what i really liked is even when we were talking about his professional experience i was visualizing what he was saying and especially the advice he would give or the personality traits that he leaned on and i could i could see how i would use them currently in my MHA program right and and you know how to Uh, approach my classes from now on you know how how can I approach an interview how I'm going to approach my first job you know there were a lot of life lessons I think Tony gave us yeah Um, we also talked about his hobbies which were nice surprises and I don't want to ruin it for the audience so stay tuned for that Um, but yeah Yeah. I think it was a well-rounded discussion Um, again having him in the booth with us I think made it also easier to kind of just have a nice conversation
0: felt very authentic, very organic. Um, And I don't know about you, but I think once I get, you know, an office and a job, I'm going to have a bowl of mints there uh, (laughs) no matter where I go, no matter what company I'm working for.
1: Yeah, as long as we call them mints and not candies.
0: They got to be mints. Yeah, got to be mints. Well, uh, you know, I I hope you guys, listeners, enjoy this as well. Um, You know, like Parson and I said, this was a lot of fun to record, a lot of fun to be a part of. And uh, hopefully you guys stick around. I think there's a lot of lessons in here to be learned and, um, you know, should just be a really enjoyable interview. It off yeah so uh tony thank you very much for being with us today uh really excited for this and uh why don't we go ahead and start off and hopefully you can just tell us a little bit about yourself your background and kind of your connection to the sloan program here at cornell
2: uh i'll give the short answer uh tell me <laughs> i try to try to give you the short answer let's <laughs> see go as long
1: as you want. I,
2: I came to sloan a little bit later you know in life like like some of you have um you know, I think I was 29 when I came, when I started at the program. And uh, I was working in a hospital in Texas when I joined, when I when I started. I was working in marketing at St. David's Hospital, which is now an HCA facility. So I came to Sloan, did my two years, and met a gentleman named uh, Bernie Kirshner, who gave me my first job out of Sloan, uh, running one of his surgery centers in Connecticut. So I spent my, uh, I promise this will be the short version, so I spent the next probably 25 years, off and on managing surgery centers and physician partnerships for a variety of companies. All um, for-profit, some publicly traded, some venture capital funded, some just private uh, individual surgery center partnerships owned by doctors. So that was my my quick path, quick quick answer to the question. <laughs> so, you yeah, know, I can elaborate if we, if we need to elaborate.
0: Well, actually, on that note, I'm hearing uh, you said the word surgery quite a bit in your response. And is that just something that you know, that was your first job out of the program, and you really wanted to be in it, or is that something you really developed a passion for over
2: time? I, To tell the truth, I didn't even know what a surgery center was when I graduated. Really? Yep. Oh, even when you graduated? Yep. We didn't get, we got none of that at Sloan. So uh, I really didn't know what a surgery center was. Uh, my father was involved in one, so I, you know, did my homework with him, did my homework with Bernie. Uh, and, you know, I got into it not knowing anything about it. And I ended wow. up liking it and stuck with it. I'd come, I'd come like most of you. I had come to the Sloan program to get a job working in a hospital, mm. and really was pursuing that right up until the end. And then the opportunity for, for with Bernie came up, and I got admit I, I took the job and, and loved it from day one.
1: And so, did you start in healthcare even after your bachelor's?
2: Because you didn't do no, after I am um, no, I did after my bachelor's degree. My first job out of out of college was translating operation manuals for General Electric locomotives. Wow. From English to Spanish. So it's <laughs> The pay wasn't bad, actually. Really? <laughs> yes. Interesting. Well, there's not a lot of people that can do that. Were you doing that back
0: in Texas? I was
2: doing it in Erie, Pennsylvania. In Erie, okay. that's where they manufactured locomotives. General oh. Electric, electric manufactures locomotives in Erie, PA. Interesting. And the ones I was translating the manuals from went from um, those manuals were being used for uh, locomotives that were sold to Nathan de México. GE diesel electric locomotives. I can't run one. I can't operate one. But I can translate <laughs> the manual. So this so, was a true career pivot. I mean, I, you I, I completely like switched. To healthcare no, that, so, that was my first was job pivot? out of. That was that job was um, in in Erie, and I ended up moving to Texas. And um, and it, I moved to Texas because there were there was work, there was opportunity there. Right. Um, Erie was kind of tough to find work at the time, so I literally picked up and went down there, worked for a manufacturing company for couple of years or a couple of years and then ended up just starting at the hospital uh, at St. David's Hospital working as a temp in the marketing department. Mm-hmm. And back then marketing covered public relations, marketing, the foundation, uh, and, and basically got me working in every single area of the hospital that I wanted to get work in. And I, could, wow. I was able to use Excel and was able to program in DBase, So a lot of departments were, were using me to do some do a lot of work. So I was everybody was you know contacting me about this project that spreadsheet, you know, and people threw their budget spreadsheets to work because a lot of the department managers weren't very good with, with Excel. Right. So, but I liked I liked the work. I liked the environment. I liked working in a hospital. And what I did was I started like many of met, met a lot of the Sloan students do you start asking questions, you know, okay, I like the hospital. If I want to work in the hospital and move up, what do I need to do? Well, every single person I talked to said, you got to get a master's degree. got to get a master's degree. I had a, a few friends that worked in the field um, that worked as hospital administrators, and I talked to them, and they did, told me the same thing. So, I, you know, I just kept working at St. David's, and um, sooner or later just ended up applying to graduate schools. I think I applied to UC Boulder, Denver. Trinity.
0: Yeah.
2: Cornell. Okay. Southwest Texas State. I think that was it. And I and God, when I got into Cornell I, I ended up deciding to just pick up and move here.
1: And So it was the first
2: time I moved from Austin to Ithaca. Right. And, and the second time did was Did you three have years any
1: ago. other affiliations with Cornell or Sloan None. Are there...
2: None. Okay. So Zero. what drew
1: you here? What what was it? Uh, uh, I
2: went to the sick. rankings. I went to the rankings that another a, a friend of mine a Trinity grad had given me the rankings out of US News and World Report. Because we we're talking about graduate schools, he was already involved in a graduate program, and he said, "Here's the last, ra- here's the latest rankings." And Sloan was on the list. I, I still have that printout, yeah. and I just, I said, "Okay, I'm going to apply to this one, this one, this one, and this one." And when I got accepted to Cornell, I, I basically just said, "Yeah."
1: It's interesting you say that because just today we were talking about this in, in a meeting, and on and and I share the same sentiment. Mm-hmm. When it came to which program to choose for an MHA, especially me being Canadian, I just went straight to the rankings, U.S. News.
2: Yeah? Yeah, unfortunately. Fortunately and unfortunately, that's what we do. Right. You know, and, and the rankings, you know, as, as you read in the newsletters, you know, Sean's uh, summary was really nice, but the rankings are, it's nice to have them. You've got the list, you have the rankings, but they're flawed. So, but back then, that's all we had. So, and there was no internet. This was 1991. Hmm. There was no internet. So we just basically went off the printout from U.S. News and World Report, and that's what we used. Other than that, it was word of mouth. I think I talked to a gentleman that went to Duke, which back then was a top program, and since then has fallen off. Um, there was, And my brother-in-law, who was a VA administrator, he had gone to Trinity, so I applied to Trinity and got accepted there as well. So anyway, I just ended up. And, and I came up here because for some of the same reasons that a lot of you do is... Uh, I went to an undergraduate school that was a small liberal arts college, you know, Gannon University in Erie, Pennsylvania, that doesn't have a lot of name recognition, so I needed the name recognition on the resume, and Cornell gave me that. Right. So, and I knew, but I, you know, I knew that Trinity, Trinity had a solid reputation in Texas. You went to Trinity, you had a job. That really? was, that was kind of the deal, is we all knew that Trinity placed their graduates very well within the hospital system in Texas.
1: And that didn't make you second guess? No, not at all.
2: No. Okay. And I came up, I visited Ithaca, you know, met uh, uh, imme- you know, met, and immediately became friends with uh, the, s- the second-year student who was a president of the Student Association, Valerie Sellers-Kantrowitz. And we, we hit it off, met Roger, met Doug, loved the campus, and just basically picked up and moved. It wasn't that hard. <laughs> I mean, it was, but it wasn't, you know. It's a a two-and-a-half-day
0: drive. Right. So we've kind of gotten up to Sloan now, um, and... You're the executive director of the program. Can you give us a quick brief about exactly like, what that means and what that kind of entails?
2: Well, Sean handles, basically the way we dis- we separate our duties, Sean handles all the, administ- the, the the academic responsibilities, all the academic stuff. He's, he's the PhD, the tenure-track faculty member that has to, you know, that's what a university does. They're responsible for, you know, he and the university are responsible for the quality of the education you guys get. And then I handle the day-to-day operational stuff from after that. So, and I end up dealing more with the students on a day-to-day basis than than Sean would. So that's how we separate our duties. Basically, you know, operations and I don't know strategy wouldn't be quite the right word, but the academic. You know, he is the the academic um, arm of the university, which is very important. That's where th- that's the that's what guarantees the quality of your education. I can't replace that. I can't. That's not something I could, you know, I, I really can't do that portion of the job ever. Mm-hmm. So, and in a university, that's the structure.
1: Right. And you also teach the marketing class.
2: And I teach and I teach the marketing class. Thank you. How's that? Though? And colloquium. I don't teach there, but right. I, I have the class. I How's teaching? Teaching's uh, a lot harder than I thought. I had taught before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, as we laugh. Right. <laughs> I had actually taught marketing before, but the structure was different, you know, and it was you know, it was a little bit. You know, the class was a little different. It was a little shorter, um, but I taught it. I've had, uh, this would be the third year I've taught the class. I think I've had the class. I co-taught it with Dinesh. He was a Syracuse University professor. We co-taught it for one year, and I kind of filled in. We we I'd have every other class, but he still did the curriculum, designed everything. Uh, so the following year, I did it. My you know I I redid the curriculum and the syllabus and everything. You know, and the, the 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 what do you call the, the evaluations didn't come back so great. So I redid the class for last year for 2018, and, and you know, the evaluations came back much better. There we go. It's a lot of work. Um, as as Evans Tom Evans says, it's about 10 hours of prep work for every hour hour and 20 minutes of class time, and I can tell you that that's about right. Can you imagine how much prep work he does oh for regressions yep. and micro yeah. yeah. and it's among a of other uses. things? Yeah. Now, once you get the course established, it's a little different. Right. And that's where, hopefully this year, I'll take what was good from last year, from 2018, and then add to it. So hopefully the course, you know, as you know, as Sean says, he's been teaching for 22 years, you get better at it every year. Because you take what you did right, change, change what went wrong, you know, and, and, and make the course a little bit better, a little more challenging... Up, you know, always have to update the material, but I also want to look at the syllabus and go, okay, this is what I didn't think students latched on to. I can expand here. Students have asked me about this. Maybe I can add this to the course, those kinds of things. So, I'm And I'll curious. bring in more guest speakers, for example, because listening to me all the time is a little dull. <laughs> No. So I would, I definitely <laughs> wouldn't say that, but I, I am curious. All right, as, I get tired of hearing myself talk.
0: <laughs> As somebody who's been in industry for so long and been successful in the industry, what kind of tools or kind of preparation did you do when you had to teach this class? Is this something that was part of your job or is it something you decided to pick up as N- being
2: here? No, actually it was hard because what I did for a living, I, I, have a, I struggle to bring into the classroom setting. Hmm. The operations that I know, we, you know, we did strategy marketing. You know, operations, you know, the clinical stuff, you know, that I found really hard to bring into the class. I don't really, and I'm still trying to figure out how to bring that into the classroom setting. So when I lecture or give assignments or we talk, I can bring in what I know. I did it a little bit last year. I'm learning how to do that. It's not entirely the easiest thing to do. I don't know how to take what I did for a living. And basically teach you guys all that stuff because it's all—I mean, it's all in my head. Right. I'd love for you to know it. I'm willing to share it, but sharing it in a in a in a structured format—it's it, a little tough. Right. You know, I, I run hospitals, I run surgery centers, physician partnerships, and everything in between. But uh, teaching you guys all of that stuff is. Uh, it's a little bit challenging. It sounds
0: like you've almost got to relearn it in order to teach it. Because like, at way. this point it must be second nature to you like what you got to do in the situation. Oh yeah. yeah.
2: In a way going, I could you know I'm still having a learn there's still a learning curve here with my job here. Mm-hmm. I could step into a surgery center and not really have a learning curve at all. I mean I've done myself on the rules and regulations and that's not that tough. But so for the marketing
1: class do you pull from being a marketing agent for a construction company at all when teaching?
2: Oh, well, like when I did, I, yeah, because yeah. I took a break from, for over five years. For right? five years, yeah. Uh, what my led, father. What led to that? Oh, it was simple. I, I, um, I had a job working for Symbion as a regional vice president, and I traveled a lot. I was gone Monday. I'd leave the house Tuesday, come back Friday. Or I'd leave Monday, come back Thursday, every week, every single week. And it wasn't being in the same city every every week. I was in Houston on Tuesday, I might be in Dallas on Wednesday, and Nashville on Thursday. So it was travel every single day, Um, and it wore me out. And My in-laws have a company that manufactures uh, mobile concrete batch plants, and it's heavy construction equipment. My father-in-law retired, Um, they didn't have anybody that spoke Spanish, and they were selling 40% of their equipment in Mexico.
1: It all comes wow. back to being Spanish. Yeah, that's a very underrated My skill. language yeah, skills have
2: always paid off. Yeah. And I was always surprised. Like
1: I went to a grade school in Pittsburgh from the second
0: second grade all the way through the sixth grade. And Spanish was a required class in the curriculum. Like, it wasn't yeah. elective or anything. We were forced to take it. But then I got to Texas, and they were like, oh, if you want, you can take it like, yeah. in seventh grade, eighth grade, which I thought was just completely backwards. In uh, Texas the, of all places. Exactly, yeah, yeah given the
2: proximity to Mexico. But we had we were selling forty percent of our equipment to Mexico, right. and you know LF was retiring, so it was an opportunity for me to kind of help them out. They needed a hand. They didn't have anybody with my skills in the company, and I thought about it. I go, oh, what's going to happen if I switch industries? And I, you know, I overthought that as most of us do. And then I finally said, okay, look, lighten up, just do it, and I did it. And I I, I love the work. I right. really love the work. It's a family business, and I'm no longer married to that family. But that work is just—I mean, you're outside. You're working with heavy equipment, construction. Um, the, com- the plants are computer controlled, so you have to understand a little bit about. You-, you have to be able to program the system. I have to be able to repair the electrical and hydraulic systems. So, it- and you're outside. I—I I don't know. I- the work is fun. It's really fun work.
1: And so, at five years, what what led? To- I just decided to get back,
2: back in. They—they, they, um, my in-laws d- never didn't really have any ideas for. Selling the business, I, you know, I tried to buy it, um, and it just wasn't working. Just wasn't so you going could have forward. gone full time. Yeah, I could have done that full time. So, and, and I like, you know, I like the business enough that I considered buying it, mm. and I, wow. you know, I didn't. I talked to Brooke about it, really, and I talked to a few other people. Had a company, you know, willing to loan me the money to buy it, um, but I, it just wasn't. It, it just wasn't right. I just had, didn't have the right feeling about it. So I did, and at that at that time I said okay this isn't going to work out, so I said let me, let me get back into healthcare now and 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 get back into uh, I think that's where I end up working working, working with HCA. So do you so think- it was just, and I, I don't, and those things are, yeah you, you go where's the synergy and stuff and right. look selling, the advantage to working in a company like that is it's very tangible, the marketing and the sales, is much more attuned to a. a, a a business that responds to pure economic forces. You know, there's many companies that manufacture concrete plants throughout the world, and you have the traditional, you have the selling, the prices. It's very transparent. You know what the price is. Um, you know what the quality is. You know what the reputation. It's not like healthcare where so much is hidden. Right. In a sense, those kinds of things keep those kinds of businesses keep me grounded. So,
1: would you say, based on what you just said, do you prefer selling or offering a product or a service?
2: But they're both the same thing.
1: Well, that tangibility might be different,
2: right? Yeah, we're selling a product, but in a way what we sell with the product is the service behind it. Sure. Because the company stands behind everything it sells. That plant, when you buy one of those concrete batch plants, you get lifetime free phone support forever, Mm. no matter who owns the plant. So if that plant goes down in the middle of production and you call the factory and you ask for customer support, technical support, you get it. So that's, that's one of those things where even though – and that's one of the things I do teach in marketing is a lot of products that are sold, you, you think you're just buying a product. But what you're doing is buying a product plus the service. And the service is whether it's implied or real. In the situation of the batch plants, it's real. It's tangible. That, that free phone support is incredibly valuable. But in some, you, you're buying like when you buy a car. I mean, with those you're buying a service too, but but some of it, some of the intangible is you're buying the the, the luxury, the component of say buying an Audi. Hmm. So,
0: so were you able to take those skills or those experiences that you learned working at the construction company, and how do you think that impacted your change back into healthcare?
2: Oh, it's just it just allowed you to take a break and rethink, and you know, and I was able to help out my in-laws. It was wonderful. Not a lot of us get to do that, um, but when I stepped back into healthcare. I got back into the surgery center world because that was to me, surgery centers still had a lot of surgery centers still have a, um, to me, they're more grounded in good economic you know, forces. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> the transparency is still there. Surgery centers run off of a flat fee system. They don't, they don't, you don't have charges where everything's every single patient comes in and the charges are different for the same procedure. Surgery centers have a certain amount of transparency and, um, and um, customer service that I that I have always latched on to. So it wasn't that big a difference for me to get back in. In a world, I still stay connected to my my, my surgery center roots. Mm. So, that's, was that what the, is, that, is that what you were yeah, asking? Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. So what's, what's kind of your favorite part about having been in the surgery center world for so long?
2: Oh, oh LA, everything. Uh, I like working with surgeons, I like working with doctors. In surgery centers, you know, we're, we're all part, most of them are partnerships, so in a sense we work for the doctors. Mm-hmm you know, that's the way we did it. The customer service component is a big deal. The first surgery centers that opened in the world, in the country, um, uh, whether they were partnerships or not, they opened as an alternative to the hospital based on their customer service orientation. Starting surgeries on time, treating the physicians as a customer, and treating the patients with with respect and dignity. So surgery centers, when they opened up, were were truly, you know, uh, innovative and disruptive forces. I mean, re- very disruptive forces. They, you know, repeatedly, hospitals, state, you know, hospital associations uh, tried to shut them down.
0: And so for those of us that don't know, when did surgery centers really start popping up and, and became kind of a, a market force?
2: The first one opened in 1970 in Phoenix. Um, I would say they really started taking off in the 90s, when I, which is when I started. I, I started at Bridgeport in 93 in the late nineties and then they really took off in the early aughts. You know, they really started growing there. But back in when I was running a surgery center, we had, you know, fifteen percent you know, you know, volume and margin growth every year. Mm-hmm. Which is unheard of. Yeah. So surgery centers really, really took off at that time and for you know, for quite a time after that.
0: So I wanna drill into something but there was
2: you- a lot of pent up uh the, sur- the service component was what got people, what got the business. Even though the surgeons were investors and, and owned and got distributions, in some centers the distributions weren't – back then the distributions weren't always a lot of money. It was just basically something to give – an incentive to give to the surgeon to bring work to the surgery center. You know, And Medicare said, look, we'll allow you to invest in this because we know the surgery center saves Medicare money over a hospital-based surgery. So Medicare allows that, that investment as an incentive – for surgeons to use a cheaper alternative to the hospital. So the surgery
0: centers are really taking off in the 90s. You, you made a great point about the focus on you know the customer experience and customer service. Why do you think it's taken so long for that kind of mentality and that importance to transition over to the hospitals? I mean, we're looking at almost 20 years, and now today we're really seeing customer service becomes something that's really prominent for these large health systems?
2: I'm not sure. But I'm glad as running a surgery center, I'm glad the hospitals still don't get it. <laughs> that's how I, every surgery center I ran, you know, we, we took volume out of the hospital and that's still my mindset. You, you you start with, I started with that mindset in 93 and you never, surgery center, administ- good surgery center administrators never forget that. You know, it's, it's we're, we compete with hospitals. Um, I don't know. I, I Maybe because you have a broader the customer service mindset in the surgery center in the surgery center world has always been there mm-hmm. since 1970 because we had to compete against hospitals so we had to have the service mindset to get physicians. The first surgery center I ran was not a partnership. The only way I could get surgeons into the into Bridgeport was to start a seven o'clock case at seven o'clock, six forty-five. It was if it was Doctor Cowder's. you know, you'd you'd have that that that, that mindset to be on time, treat the surgeons, you know, as a customer and treat the patients, you know, also as a customer with dignity and respect. So that mentality was always there. I think now you're starting to just have this whole consumer-driven uh, mindset going on with the whole industry. I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's not a spillover from the surgery center world. But in a way, I wish you'd assume that that mindset would be in existence everywhere in healthcare, but it's not. Yeah. Or forever, but it's just not the way the industry ran and it's still tough. You know, hospitals still struggle with some of the consumer orientation. I think they do. I, I still go to hospitals.
1: Well, that's why they're hiring chief patient experience officers yeah. Or yeah. chief people officers. Yeah. There was a diversity officer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a hospital, but some companies starting to implement yeah. diversity officer.
2: But in a surgery center, surgery centers are smaller than hospitals. Most, A lot of them will do more surgery than a hospital right next to them. Um, most surgery centers, done, most surgery is done outpatient, but a surgery center is a small, is a small, it's a small hospital, really. The farthest the surgeon has to go to get customer service or to get administration's ear is to the administrator's office mm-hmm. it, you know, and it's a very small organization that's designed to be quicker and to respond faster to customer needs. If a surgeon has a bad experience one day, we try to correct it for the next day. We don't have a lot of layers of bureaucracy. So in that sense, there's not a lot of, um, it's just an easier environment for surgeons to work in. And we create a good, we try to create a good environment, a happy environment for surgeons to do surgery in.
0: You know, I'd love to drill into that, that close relationship between the the clinicians and the administrators in the surgery center. Can you talk a little bit to kind of what that experience has been like? What are some strategies that have worked for you when you're working close with clinicians? And what's been like really, really great and beneficial and what hasn't been so great
2: in that relationship. Uh, I mean, to use an overused term, we work as a team. We work, we work as a team. The best way I can describe it is I, as an administrator, I'm a businessman. I love running businesses. But in a surgery center, I'm a businessman and I can run the, the whole business, but I cannot practice nursing by law and I cannot practice medicine. So those things you learn, those things force you to work together because every one of us has a different level of expertise. We all have a certain value that we bring to the table. So that forces everybody to work together. Um, there are some dysfunctional and some turf battles. There are some, there is some dysfunction sure. and some turf battles. But for a surgery center to run effectively, to send out bills, to have a good quality system, to you know, for patients to leave in an ambi- you know healthy, to have surgeons work there happily, anesthesia to want to do their work there, and to be able to recruit nursing staff, you, you have to work together and provide a good environment for every single one of those people. Or and that's everything. important. Or digital. Or, or digital. <laughs> but, but that's the important component is we, you realize the value of each piece in the puzzle. Right. And in a lot of hospitals, I don't see that. I still don't see that happening. I can't do my job without a nurse. I can't. I can never do my job without anesthesia. Anesthesia, surgery can't do their job without nursing. But nursing and, and nursing and anesthesia and the surgeons can't necessarily have a surgery center without a businessman or a business person running it. And whether that administrator is, you know, somebody like me, a business person or a nurse, almost doesn't matter. We, you know, we're still responsible for the organization as a whole. So that's where the, the teamwork really makes a big difference, and it creates a different environment there when you all, when when everybody has a lot of respect for everybody else. So it's fun work. It's very fast like moving. It. Yeah. You know, and very, very, you know, if you think about it, very risky. Right. And I'm
0: wondering on that note, because it sounds like it's a very enjoyable, very intense experience that is very rewarding working in surgery centers. What brought you back to Sloan as an executive
1: director? And if I can add a layer to that, how different was, or they might be similar, how different was being an ED at the Ambulatory Surgery Center Society versus being an ED
2: here at Sloan? Oh, it's completely different. Okay because no, it, it's this is you, this is a university. It's a huge organization. I don't have nearly the you don't have nearly the uh, you know. It's in a surgery center. The administrator has a lot of authority and a lot of responsibility. Mm. And in an organization like this, that's diluted. Plus, there's the learning curve that this is an academic environment that I have very little experience in and very little footing in. Um, but the first part of the question was,
0: how'd you end up coming back? Oh, to
2: it it was random. Um, I hadn't been looking really for a change but some things happened back back at home um, back in Texas it's not home Ithaca's home but some things that happened in Texas that kind of made you rethink what you want to do and what you're looking at you know I've been looking to uh, move to a smaller community so we were looking at Austin was getting a little bit big taxes are property taxes in Texas are very high especially in Austin in Austin are yeah, ridiculous but there's no there's no, tax, there's no income tax property taxes, taxes is it that tax? high double depending what on on where Ithaca. you live yeah okay so we were looking at a smaller, going to a smaller community, you know, which would mean me looking for a different job, whatever, which I've done enough. So that wasn't the stressful part. And then Sean sends an email out to the, like the alumni and it lands in my inbox just one day. I can't even, I don't even remember what month it was. And I read it and I was like, oh, this looks really interesting. And this was to hire This was hire the AD? executive director okay. for Sloan. And I read the job description and I was like, and I met all the requirements. Which sometimes I tell you guys, look, if you if you meet seven you out of seem ten requirements, shocked, right. I know. But I read the requirements. <laughs> they wanted somebody that had oper- you know, day to day healthcare operations experience. Right. And then the other ones, you know, kind of fit in. So I had the I had the requirements. Um, i had always liked teaching, even though I was, you know, admittedly not. Admittedly, I have to say I'm not very good at it yet. But I wanted to teach. You know, Sloan changed my life. So it was an opportunity to come back and do something different. I don't mind doing things different. I don't mind doing something different. It keeps you, it keeps us sharp. And, and I looked at it and I, I've always liked Ithaca. Um, what else? And, you know, it was Cornell. And the ability to work with students and hopefully teach, you know, everybody here something that I knew was appealing. So th- th- there was nothing but good associated with it. It was one of those jobs that I considered something that you look at and you go, oh, "This doesn't happen that often. It happens once in a lifetime, so you don't pass it up."
0: So I yeah. thought there's something interesting you said there, where Ithaca is home. Ithaca is home. I mean, I, I came I'm in from home Texas, right.
2: yeah.
0: Um, and you know, I, th- I think a lot of my co- colleagues or my cohort members share this idea where maybe it's the fact that it's a graduate program, maybe it's the fact that we're coming from other cities, but Ithaca seems like a place where. You kind of want to get here. You want to do your work, and then the moment you can, you know, you get out of get dodge, out. you no. get out of dodge. Right? And get I'm out. wondering, what is it about Ithaca that you were like, no, this is where I want to be. This is where I'm meant to be, enough so to move back after having been in Austin for so long.
2: Well, the job is where you're meant to be and where you want to be. Ithaca is another place. I'm, I'm like many of us, many of you. We're, we're, you know, I'm an immigrant too. Sure. So home is where you are. Yeah. For, for me, for, for for us, for my family, my my parents and and me. You well, know, make sure home to add is where a you, I, I, I oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, think yeah. okay. like it's another place I'm, I'm like many of us many of you we're, were you know I'm an immigrant too sure so home is where you are yeah. for, for me for, for for us for my family my, my parents and, and me. but it is you know home is where you are it, it's it's weird I, I don't know uh, some people you know I know some people that can't leave where they are you know, in a, they live in, like, Wichita Falls, Texas, and they can't leave Wichita. They can't leave because that's all they know, and I'm not that way. So, but I like Ithaca. It's a sm- it was a smaller community, so it met the smaller town requirement. And Ithaca has everything I need. You know, I cycle. I, you know, I love to cook. I like good food. You know, it, it, I like to be outside. I like to be inside. Ithaca had everything I needed. It had everything that Austin all had for me. I, I mean, I miss my friends. I miss my daughters who are still in Texas. But Ithaca has pretty much everything Everything I need. Wow. Does that answer the question? There's that? the shock no, no, on no. your it's face not... right now. I know. Wow. But I was like, whoa. <laughs> I, I have grown to...
0: Uh, you know, I've definitely grown yeah, to appreciate here two Ithaca. Yeah, you're and you're gone. Yeah, it's, it's almost very quick. Like, there, are, there are days yeah. where I'm walking around and I'm like, you know what? Like, I could really enjoy spending time here and living here. You and could. I tell this to Parse all the time. Like, if I ever get to the position of my life where I can own a summer home on, the, you know, like
1: right. that yeah. would be just phenomenal. Yeah. I would Actually, love not, not to piss any Cornellians off, but we were just at the IC campus the other day. Yeah. We were just, like, oh, touring it in the car. And gorgeous. it's so high up in the hills. And the view that we got of Ithaca and the water amazing it's stunning I know I tell this to everyone I was not excited to come here as far as Ithaca goes not the program especially because I had in the back of my mind the idea that I was going to go to New York City the moment I got here
2: I I was sold on Ithaca oh no this is one of the most beautiful college campuses in the country yeah and then, you know, I, I, I joke with some students, and I, you, you guys know, some students are like, oh, look, remember, go, if you look west, there's a lake over there. Just don't forget. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just when you, but you have to walk over yeah. there or, or get on a hill to see it.
1: Well, I think the main reason why some people might feel bitter about being in Ithaca, and most of the locals that we've met always say the same thing, Ithaca in the summers... That's uncomparable. It's, makes it's, up. They it makes say up. It makes up for, yeah, everything, makes else. Up for everything else. Yeah. But it sucks because the one summer we're here, we're gone, we're gone for our internships, yep. so we don't get to experience. You don't, you don't
2: experience that. the summer, and I like the summers. I don't like. I get. You know, to be honest. I don't like the summers because all the students are gone. That's the worst part about the summer oh, but You miss us, Tony. I miss you. I miss everybody. But the, the weather here's the weather here's wonderful.
0: <laughs> who's gonna yeah. walk into your office and take minutes every day? Yeah, nobody. If it's not us, nobody. Do you still go into the
2: office every <laughs> day? <laughs> really? Oh man, we all do. With the no Swan one in admin. this suite. Well, all, Sean, Jessica, Julie, Shannon, Brooke, and I are there. Wow. You we know, go, we go it's every day. day. That's
1: like a job. Right? It's a job. Yeah. That's right. Well, you know, well, in general, when you think jobs in education. One, especially at an early age, you think, oh, my elementary teacher, no, well she there. takes the summers
2: off. We right. don't. Because yeah, in the scary. summer, we so catch is that up.
1: planning for next we,
2: year? We, like I tell people, we catch up on everything we let slip in the spring <laughs> or, and <laughs> or fall. Okay. Um, and we do a lot of the planning, a lot of the orientation. Um, I'll work on my course a lot on the marketing class. Uh, and anything else, really, that we have to do differently, we have to manage the people that are out there on our internships. Um we have some admission stuff that we, we're wrapping up and there's a couple of alumni events at the beginning of the summer. So th- actually the summer is really busy. Yeah, it's wow. it's it's plenty busy and orientation takes a lot of work because everybody puts a lot of effort, you know, you know, Marty included in, in, in making sure orientation's a good experience for everybody. So that's yeah, it's it's fun work. Yeah. And the cycle starts all over again. <laughs> You know, I mean, with with the previous work I had, it was your monthly financial, actually your weekly financials and your monthly financials and your quarterly financials. Every job has its own cycles. So I was going to actually touch on that and
1: ask you, do you find any sense of complacency or even boredom to some
2: extent because the academic cycle is so much longer? It's a different cycle. It is longer. Yeah. And it is a little bit harder to adjust to that because in in my world, it was all, you know, we, we lived and died with our financial statements. So, well, and in and the quality, you know, not to ignore the quality, but for you know, for-profit and publicly traded companies, you know, a lot of it is financial. Mm-hmm. I mean, HCA has a wonderful quality program, but still, the company is publicly traded, so you never can you can never let go of the financial responsibilities. Right. So, so I love a, what you a, said. A, accounting, that... yeah, my accounting is solid. It's, okay. My if, finance, eh, if I had to, but accounting was what I, what I. You can't take over really Rich Curtis' uh, role. <laughs> yeah. We need but I, I, I use accounting day to day more often than I did almost anything else. Sure. But you, have, you, you kind of end up, you, you have to. And you have to understand the stuff.
0: So it's very heartwarming for me to, to hear you say that you miss students in the summer. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> and I don't mind saying one that. Thing, one thing that I really appreciate about walking into the suite every day is that your door is always open. Unless you're meeting somebody, your door is open. I can come in. I like to joke that I get to, like, you know, grab mints and stuff grab mitts. like that. But, uh, but we're there for the talk. Yeah, right. I know. And and why why is that important to you to because have it's
2: that social. policy? Oh, I've always had the policy. Even as an administrator, or a CEO, hospital administ- a surgery center administrator, or a hospital, I always never closed my door unless I had a meeting or it needed to be closed. But one because I, I'm a social person, I like to see things. In a surgery center, I like to have eyes and ears on what's going on, and um, not micromanage. But I just you, you, when you close the door, you shut yourself off and i never like to shut myself off i, I do well with sounds and, and and i can tune you guys out actually with the door open if you guys are talking i can actually tune you guys out sometimes but i really, but when you in the same and way. when you close your door it, you you you're you, alone with you, your thoughts you're alone with your thoughts i don't always <laughs> like that
1: no, I agree. Oh, That's so morbid, so <laughs> no, I totally agree. I mean, I've told him this. I can't study yeah. in a library because it's there's no volume for focus. Oh, I have to tinnitus. Focus. I have tinnitus, too, so right. I, my rears are always ringing. So I like to go to a coffee shop because it forces me to tune everyone out, yeah. and then I can actually focus on what I need to do. But I,
2: to I like do. to see everybody. I mean, how else do you know what, what's going on? What How else do you help people? In a surgery center, it worked out the best way because everybody would come and talk ask me bring up issues you know in a surgery center sometimes things run really well things run really fast so having an open door really made people feel welcome surgeons would come in after their cases in between cases they come chat how else do you get to know your customers you know basically you're talking to your customers there in between cases Mm -hmm. i mean that's the best customer service you can give so that's why i always left my door open and for the employees and for everybody you know seeing a door open to the to to whoever's running the business has its um, advantages and I just like it. And the other part is not necessarily having the door open, but which way do you face your desk? Away from the door, sideways, or facing the door? Face it. You face the door. Yeah. Face the door. Because you turn your back, it's just like having a door closed.
0: Did you have anyway. mints on your desk in the surgery center, too?
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's where I picked it up. Oh, I love that's that. That's where I picked it up. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's, it's, it, it's a different, different world. World.
0: so what do you think really sets Sloan apart from you know the other or I guess we're oh. top ten now oh we're getting into yeah. it yeah yeah let's well, talk about it what, what makes us different from the other top ten programs in the country
2: it's not what sets us apart so much as how we differentiate one we differentiate ourselves from one, one another a lot of having traveled a lot with, with the programs, gone to the AUPHA meetings, ACHE, gone to the case competitions, all the pro you'd be surprised how many good programs there are and how, what kind of the caliber of the students are put they're, they're graduating. They're great, we're all good, but we're all a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, Sloan has the, the alumni connection, our placement rate, you know, we have the name brand of Cornell behind us, the, um, the ability to take classes outside of Sloan is a big deal. Those are things that differentiate us. If you go to UAB, if you go to Trinity, like a, I know, a Trinity, you, you, all the classes are deli- given by the faculty, the core Trinity faculty. You don't take finance with Curtis. You don't take the analyzing financial statements, financial statement analysis over the hotel school. you take all that stuff within, tr- within the core you know, Trinity faculty, for example. That, that, those things are, are different for every single program. And Cornell at Sloan, you know, we differentiate ourselves with, you know, our placement rate, our placement rate, the rigor of the education, the um, the ability to take classes outside of outside of the course Sloan faculty, the connection with the alumni, the, the 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 practical learning aspects of it, whether it's the plics, colloquium or having or workshops, all of those things differentiate us from some of the other programs. And that those things, are, they seem subtle, but they make a big difference when you're looking at programs. Some of the programs, like uh, UAB, are still very hospital-centric. Um, some of the programs, uh, I've had students come to me looking at programs. They go, you know, I heard that you guys are placing students in consulting. Well, you know, the X, Y, and Z program, they're still requiring you to do a hospital fellowship. I'd like to go to, you know, I'd like to look at Sloan because I'm interested in consulting. So we we have we have some things that make us different, at differentiators from other programs. And we're all accredited, the core the core curriculum is basically the same, but we separate. You know, as as you learn in marketing, differentiation is is sometimes a are, there are subtleties in differentiation that draw customers.
0: So do you think there's something and, you know that...
2: like you 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 were drawn to Sloan for some reason? Probably something that. we like to pride ourselves on that we're differentiated on
1: for me it was definitely the alumni network yeah. the brand name certainly especially being canadian they care about brand name education yeah so if i ever if one sorry for for the border patrol officer when i go back to canada <laughs> <laughs> not if when they care about that yeah um so it's de- it definitely helps